Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good. I hope I'm doing good. For those of you watching the video, because I'm not going to have it on the podcast because you wouldn't get it. You just saw a clip of uh, my new property with the chickens because I've gotten a lot of emails and questions like, where are your chickens? You know, in the other shows when you were living in Homestead, we used to hear these roosters crowing in the background and and uh, the birds and everything. Because I was, my office was office slash studio was outside this wraparound porch where, of course, my birds and everything. So for those of you who are watching the video, you just saw me um, show the the land where we moved to and also a quick walkthrough of my chicken coop because I have free range chickens, but I keep them in an area just to keep them safe because there's a lot of hawks and things out here. And I showed you some of my girls that are broody and on eggs and my plants. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll probably, uh, like I said, the podcast people, sorry, but uh, it wouldn't make, there would be no context for what you're hearing. So, um, but anyway, guys, let's, let's get to the good part. Like always, it has to do with who I have on the show. This is a first time guest here on stories of the supernatural. And I know you're going to like it because, uh, I know all of you, um, have asked me to bring on people that are psychic or, you know, have had experiences with, you know, whether they want to call themselves a sensitive, intuitive, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And today I have a gentleman by the name of Chuck Bergman. Now, this is the best part because I know you guys are going to like this. He was a police officer for many years. <laughs> and I know a lot of people think, man, those two worlds will never cross. And as a matter of fact, we, I mentioned to him just right now that a lot of Weird things sometimes go on in that field, whether you're psychic or not, by the way. But let me tell you a little bit about Chuck. He was born in Jacksonville, Florida. He's a third generation psychic medium who realized his gift at a very early age. And during his 32 year career as a police officer in Salem, Massachusetts, oh boy, uh, uh, he kept his gifts under wraps. No surprise there. Uh, since his retirement and going public as a psychic medium, the A&E channel and the Biography channel have featured Chuck on the program Psychic Search, and he's been a repeat guest on many live radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM. Uh, in addition to holding sessions and giving readings as a medium, he has helped numerous police departments around the world locate missing persons and solve murder cases. 
He co-authored the book, The Everything Guide to Evidence of an Afterlife and his autobiography, Psychic Cop, which came out in 2012. And of course, now he's retired from the police force and he enjoys the freedom of using his gift, regularly holding group and private sessions in Middleburg, Florida, and phone readings with clients worldwide via Skype. He's passionate about educating people on the concept of life continuing after so-called death. So how are you doing today, Chuck? Oh, what an intro. Thank you, Marlene. Nice to be here. I'm really looking forward to our little chit chat tonight. I've been, uh, well, I've been you know what? I love it. Thank you. But I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests. But even though part of your bio, you know, said, obviously it's, it's a family thing, but how did you figure out that you were one of those that uh, got past that gift? How old were you? You know, it happened when I was around five, six years old. And that's got a little bit of a story to it, which is cute. Um, you know, being that young, I was playing in the backyard, trying to put on what you'd call a police uniform. I was okay. making it out of different things that I had. And uh, when it came to the badge, I put it, uh, I took a piece of metal and I put aluminum foil around it. And I kept trying to pin it on my chest, but it would fall off and fall off. And as a little boy, I'm in the backyard alone. Mm -hmm. I started crying. But then a soothing, deep, calming voice penetrated the air. I mean, it was just like someone standing. And actually, it was like going to a movie, better than the Dolby system that you hear. And okay. he used these words. He said, that's okay, Chuck. One day you'll be wearing a real badge. Ooh. And just kind of disappeared. And uh, the funny thing is I went in to tell my mom about it. And she didn't want me to get into this world. So what she did is she um, went out back, looked around, looked over the fence, made sure there was no one, you know, talking to me and for real. But mm -hmm. she knew, she knew what was going on. And uh, every time I would tell her about some type of a voice or a vision or even uh, things I would tell her about herself that are getting ready to happen, she would always wow. say, no, 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 you're you're just a kid, you're imagining it. And it wasn't until after my mom passed away, uh, when I was in my uh, late 20s, that I learned that she too was a medium, and so was her mother, my favorite wow. grandmother. So it kind of, you know, runs in the So family. she really, she she never told you then that she, she had that she ability? She told me. It was kind wow. of an odd thing. We had, um, I had a vacation, you know, as on the police department in Salem, just north of Boston. So I came back to Jacksonville during the winter time to have a nice, sunny, warm vacation. <laughs> and when I came down, um, I had a cousin from where my mom grew up in England coming over to also spend a little time. And we all joined at my sister's house. And then I found out that she had written a book about the afterlife and meditation. She was into this stuff. And she kind of spilled the beans. She said, well, your mother's a medium, and so was our grandmother. So it was kind of odd. I had to learn about it through her <laughs> almost by accident. Yes. Why do you think your mom didn't want it? Do you think maybe she had some, what, did she have frightening experiences, or she just didn't want you to be that person, you know, that kid or whatever? Well, it was very, very sad. Back in the day, back in England, yes. uh, they didn't know what to do with people that were connecting with the other side or claiming that. 
so she had a, my mom's sister had the ability and it's very sad she ended up the only thing they could do with her is put her in an insane asylum oh my god and which is i think she even died in the uh, asylum and i think that's where my mom was terrified that, that no wonder as well no wonder yes especially coming to america and not knowing you know how they would handle it here she in fact she i heard she she would only give readings to her closest friends right boy do i look young in that little uh, silhouette yeah <laughs> i know it's, i know it's not me well you know what you know what's really funny about all of this is that i've 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 heard of this before that you know a lot of parents sometimes they 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 want to protect their child because they 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 fear there's a stigma like you know i want you to be average because i don't want you to stand out and then it's going to be bring negative attention i, I this is not the first yeah. time that i've heard of that because you know let's face it nobody wants to um to have their child uh picked on or things like that so let me ask you that voice when you heard it when you were in the yard it didn't sound familiar at all to you you know it did not it sounded like you're an announcer for a really coming movie or whatever I, I to this day i remember how calm and how soothing it was and i remember turning my head and looking around and i couldn't decipher whether it was coming from my left in front of me or to the right it was like all around me it was really strange and i did hear it at another point in my life which is funny i mean i've only heard the voice a probably three or four times total and with the line of work i'm in i've heard many people report hearing a voice uh, a voice so you know mm -hmm. I, I know it's it happens it can happen to people and it's something you can't ask for if it's going to happen it'll happen sure but there was one morning when i was in my patrol car about I don't know, six o'clock in the morning, and I was going to get off at eight in the morning. So I'm taking a little ride. The streets were quiet. No one's out really. And just as I turned the corner to go on, you know, one of the streets, I thought the radio went off at first. And all I heard was now at this point, you got to understand all this stuff as a child was in my past. That was behind me. Right. You know, I've, I've been to Vietnam. I've sailed around the world with the Navy. I've done all kinds of stuff. I'm on the police department. I've got a family, I've got two mm -hmm. daughters. I'm living that kind of a life, but I turn the corner and for some unknown reason, I hear the words, you will be known as the psychic cop. Whoa. And to be honest, I looked in my rearview mirror. I thought it was a someone in another cruiser behind me with the PA system playing uh -huh. a joke on me. And I almost had to even look up the word psychic. That's how out of tune I was with all this stuff. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. But it's funny how when I wrote the second book, the autobiography, and I was thinking of the title, I said, it's got to be the psychic cop. What, what other route could I take? I think you go. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Like he gave you the title of your book before you even knew you were going to write it. That's right. <laughs> that is, that's, that's a great story. So, okay. So here you are, you grow up and like you said, of all places, not only are you a police officer, but you're in Salem, Massachusetts. So let me ask you, after you had that encounter, what happened? You go through adolescence, because I know a lot of times stuff happens when you're an adolescent. What happened? Did everything like fade to the background or did you continue to have experiences? There were a few. Um, even when I first joined the Navy, 
-hmm. there would be more uh, premonitions that would happen. Or I would be in certain countries, you know, visiting with other sailors and while we're on leave and I would know my way back to the ship and no one else would. There were all these odd things that would happen, but I could never put my finger on it. I really, I didn't really understand what it was all about, but it was definitely there. Ah, uh, that's see. And then you come back and you become a police officer and, and I, what, let me ask you, did it ever, how can I say, did it ever overlap into your work while you were working at all? Like that you would get some weird or feeling or actually see or experience something while you were working? Once in a, once in a while it would. I remember one time in particular where I was heading back to the police station. I was leaving my beat, heading back into the police station. And then it was like a wraparound movie around my eyes. It was like I saw a certain intersection that I knew was a very busy intersection. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a truck. I'm seeing smoke. I'm seeing telephone wires and poles down. And I'm going, what in the world is, why am I seeing all of this? But it was so vivid. Something made me go ahead and turn around and start heading in that direction. And don't forget, we didn't have cell phones, you know, back then. So people weren't calling in accidents immediately it could take mm-hmm. four, five, six minutes. And uh, sure enough, I'm, I'm just driving casually there. And then I get the radio message to go to that intersection <laughs> and a truck. I, it was the weirdest thing. A guy had rounded a corner in a box truck, you know, not a very big truck. And he, his rear view mirror hit a telephone pole, but apparently that pole was rotted And because it was rotted, it started to fall and it pulled down every pole around it into the intersection. Oh, it was the craziest thing in the world. And uh, all he had was a a broken rear view mirror or side view mirror, rather. Uh And yet you had all this sparking going on and a little bit of flame here and there. And but it was funny how I saw that probably five minutes. And I, I imagine your 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 dispatch must have been how did he how did he know to go over there? Yeah, he get so quickly, you know? but, and I gotta admit, there were other times without a warning I would know to head to a certain area. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I remember one in particular where this uh there was a shoplifter and okay. I was seeing it. I was just seeing it happen while I'm driving down, you know, like a little bit of a highway that we have there. So I said, I know that store, I know what I'm seeing. I pull into the parking lot just as they're on the phone calling the station and they're trying to hold this guy and he goes bolting out the door, but right into my arms, really, you know, it was like, and they said, how did you get here so quick? How did you know? And I, I couldn't tell him. I just said, it's like, I, I just happened to, you know, swing by to see how you were doing and look what your happened. bad luck. <laughs> yeah. And you know what it's like to keep it under wraps because yes, some will, will favor you and some will not. No, of course, of course. Yeah. And, 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 and now that people don't realize that, yeah, now it's become a little bit more mainstream because they have all these reality shows. But the years that we're talking about here, it was like if you became known as that person, you know, like it was like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of and, and that kind of stuff people wouldn't forget either. <laughs> oh gosh, the the journey has been amazing. So what happened? So here you we were talking about working in Salem. How was that? Because I was thinking that that must have been like, wow. I mean, besides the actual work as a police officer, did you ever have any, um, did you ever see things 
that you're thinking, wow, this is. No, it was, I was, unfortunately, I'd have to say it was very commercialized. Yes, I know. You know I've we been we had tourists from all over the world. I know that. And, and it was funny. I One little story I like to tell is uh, <laughs> on our armband and on the side of the police car, we had a witch riding a broomstick. And they still Hello. use that. They still use that on the police patch. I think you know, that's so cute. And there, there it is. But tourists would love to uh, take pictures, but especially people from Japan would try and sneak it because, you know, in their culture, you don't take pictures of people without their permission. Right. But what I would do is in the back seat, I had a, another police hat and another leather jacket with the patch on it. So if I saw like a family trying to take my picture, I'd like, come over, open the wait. door, I'd put them in the driver's seat, hand them the microphone, and then I would take a picture of them driving the police car. Oh and on my the God. side door was the great big emblem with the witch riding the broom. So oh, they must have loved you. <laughs> it was fun. There were a couple of times I would get um, front page papers mailed to me from different countries where that photograph actually got published in the local papers. You know what? I was thinking you must, you're, you're in a bunch of family <laughs> albums, a vacation family albums. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. I did a motorcycle duty for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And again, with the tourists and all that stuff, that was, it was, it was an adventure. It was really fun. It was crazy. The people that you would meet. Yes. Yeah. I, I I've been to Salem twice and I know that there's, like you said, there's a lot of the, the tourists, you know, which is great when you haven't been there before, but um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, but that, that, that's a great story as far as, you know, that everybody wants to take the picture. It's like, yeah, with the, yeah, but I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic that they've stuck to the, to the emblem for the city. Oh yeah. You know, and they've kept it like that. You should see it like every uh, September Right on through the end of October, oh. it was wall-to-wall -wall people. I can imagine. The locals yeah. knew you can't even walk in the downtown area. You can't park anywhere. And just massive amount of people around as Halloween is approaching. So oh, it's, yeah. it's pretty major. It's very big. So you were there for a long time. There so what know. happened? How did you go from, you know, being a trained observer you know, factual, you know, everything that you need to do when you're a police officer and start working with your gift. It came, first of all, I'd like to say that a lot of police officers, officers develop their intuition because they have to. Mm -hmm. you, and, you know, you know a little bit about that stuff. If, if yes. you're going to stop a car, you better be observant. And mm -hmm. if you're talking to the driver and also taking in what the passengers' movements and what's going on, you have to be on your toes. And you yeah. also have to rely on that gut feeling, as they call it, or your intuition. Sure. And I think you get to develop it. And what I like to do is when I had a strong intuition on a certain person or whatever, I would approach the car and like almost already know, be careful, this guy's got a warrant. And then it was okay. fun to find out that I'd call the name and everything in. And sure enough, there'd be a warrant. Yeah. Um, that didn't always work. Believe me. There a couple no, of times. I know, I know, I know. Had, but you know? but yeah. um, I think we developed that process and most officers, even off duty, where they're having a meal at a restaurant or at a gas station, that antenna is always up. So sure. if you combine that with having the natural ability, it does strengthen it. You know, it 
I, w- I was just so curious about how all of that worked. I started taking uh, meditation classes. Okay. And that was the key for me. It opened the door to um, hearing spirit better and seeing images and feeling the energy and just knowing how to work it. And I've heard of that before. It's almost like, you know, it's been there all along, but now you're actually like, even though, like you said, it, it, and, and I can understand where maybe, you know, if you would have tried to do that while you were still employed, it would have been a, com- it would have been a problem for you. It would have been a conflict. Okay. But then once you're off the force, it's like, okay, now I can like. <laughs> Boy, that's when the floodgates opened. I'll tell yes. you. So what, how, how, how did you, how's this? Like you, you know, you had that experience as a child and you heard this person speak to you, which for all we know, was it that a guide? Was that a deceased person? Who was that? How did you have that first moment that you realized whoever I'm listening to is somebody that's passed away? Did they give you something? Probably the one that uh, moved me. I don't know the right word, but I I progressed from a, a curiosity um, element in my life to a positive believing that it is the spirit of the person that I'm connecting with. And okay. the reason I'd say that is uh, it all happened one night when a family called me from uh, California. Their son had been missing for eight months and they didn't know dead or alive. They, they said they've got the media working on it in California. They've got um, search parties. They've got helicopters, you name it. Mm-hmm. And in eight months time, nothing. So I didn't really want to do the reading because the last thing I wanted to do was say, your son is dead and then find out later he comes home and you put them through all that pain and suffering for no reason. But what happened was there were such powerful um, validations that it was their son coming through Mm -hmm. that we get to the point where I, I just happened to say to them, I said, um, you know, because he had me on speakerphone. I said, did your son drive a green Chevrolet pickup truck? And the father said, yeah, and it's missing. It's, they haven't found that either. I said, okay. I said, I'm getting that he, he's dead. The body is next to the truck. But this is where it gets kind of crazy. He showed, as I'm looking out my office window into the back wooded area where I live here in Florida, Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the number 020 floating by in the air, almost like you see on a weather map when they've got the right. little clouds, the silly, whatever you call those little emojis mm-hmm. going by. And I, so I asked him in spirit, I said, is that at the heading on a map? And he said, yes, from my parents' home, go north, 020 degrees. And then I said, okay, but how far up that line would I go? And then he put me inside the Chevrolet pickup truck and showed me the trip meter. This is how vivid this scene was. Wow. And it came in at 159, 159 miles, 020 degrees north from the house. Now, I love validations. So Mm -hmm. what I uh, told the dad was, I want you to take out a map. From your house, go north, 020 degrees. And I said, you called me. I didn't call you. All I know is you're in California. The area that this should put you in should be a two-part name he's telling me. The first part starts with S is in Sam. Then you have the next part, which is N is in Nancy. 
but I can't make out the name. And he said, well, yeah, you just put me in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Oh. So now when you start getting those kind of mm-hmm. pieces that you can, pieces of the puzzle that are that accurate, then the next thing that happened was, uh, you know, we conclude the reading, but I even got into why he fell off the mountain that he fell off. I got into him being engaged and it falling apart and he was depressed. Everything happened. So what happened was the very next afternoon, I get a call from California, uh, the detectives out there. Mm-hmm. The first question was, uh, Mr. Bergman, have you ever been to California? I, <laughs> I said, uh, no, I've been up and down the East Coast, but never at that point in my life, never out West. And he said, well, we flew a helicopter over the area and uh, we found the green pickup truck. We had to get up there on ATVs and the body was next to it. Oh, now don't forget, this is a young man that had been searching eight months. I was about to say. And here they are getting a, a one. Re- I'm not saying every reading will turn out that that mm-hmm. great. Most of them do. But what what hope for families that are missing people? Sure. And and and, and especially after that length of time, as as difficult as it must be to basically get confirmed what they maybe already suspected, I think it would be worse not knowing. Everyone wants to know. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. You know, it's always that question mark otherwise. Or are they still out there and do they need my help? Right, right. The, Either way, it's like. Right. It's just, it, to me, the hard part is, well, why couldn't you just go to mom or dad and, you know, enter their dream state or do something to mm-hmm. contact them and let them know? It's just crazy the way it all works. And you know what? And it makes you think, who knows if mom and dad might have sometimes dreams like that, but they don't know how to interpret it. Yeah. Or they look at it as they don't believe it. In other words, they just think it's wishful thinking, kind of. In other words, they don't understand the symbols that maybe he's. You're right. They don't, they don't. And I was amazed the other day that someone who was a, um, oh, what do they call a ghost hunter? And I, I've been a little bit into that world where different people have asked me to go with them. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, their equipment, you'll love this, their equipment would pick up nothing. But yet I would pick up the spirit in the room of course. and give accurate information to the family that wanted them there in the first place to identify a spirit in the home. So, you know, it's kind of weird that all the equipment, all kinds of stuff out, they're going to pack it up and everything. And I'm just sitting there kind of observing. And then all of a sudden I came out with the truth as to what happened in the home. Right. So it's kind of telling me, but what happened in this case is on Facebook, a person who was a um, ghost hunter mm-hmm. for some reason brought my name into it. And this is local and said that we don't use uh, psychics. They're all frauds. And, and I hate that term They're um, mm-hmm. They're milking the public and, you know, scamming everyone. And, you know, the typical stuff you're going to hear, hear from a skeptic. Exactly. But the beauty was maybe three people got on the bandwagon with her. Uh-huh. Probably 80, 90 people that have had readings from me right. or seen me on television have said, you're wrong. This guy can really do it. And it's not phony. And it's not. And it's almost like I wanted to go on and tell her, like, I've done better than your equipment. Not that that'll always happen. I but- tell you, I've, I've, because I tell everybody, because I've been doing investigations since the 90s. I tell everybody, I, I was doing it when you, when you had to pay to develop film. Every, my audience must hear me say that. Wow. And I use it as a context to how long ago, because a lot of people always think of just digital. 
<laughs> you go, once upon a time, you had to pay to develop sometimes just a picture of black, if you know, oh, as yeah. far as uh, when you were trying to capture something and maybe you had a cassette, you know, in, in other words, it was much basic. And I tell everybody, first of all, you paid more attention to your senses. But, you know, after the introduction of all these gadgets and stuff, I tell them, look, there's been times, okay, that the best instrument there is the, the psychic or the humans that are there. Yes. Okay. But, you know, I, I want to say, since you know the field, you're mm -hmm. talking about getting the film developed and all that. What about yeah. all of your time that you're putting into it and the countless, oh, the hours of listening on headphones or looking at waveform on a audio yeah. and just checking every little bump that you see in case. And even then you have to listen because it may not show a waveform. It may not be loud enough. So there's a lot of work that goes into the ghost hunting and, and analyzing all of the uh, data that you take back. Well, there's, there's a running joke about among anybody that's done this for a while, because that's another thing that I tell people, because I tell people either are interested in joining a group or want to use a group to come to their home. I said, you know, you need, you need to look for somebody that's been together for a bit, you know, for a while, because a lot of these groups, sometimes they dissolve maybe within the first two years. Um, is that it's, there's a running joke that you get phenomena happening either before or after you've put either unpacked or haven't packed, you know, you just finished putting away your equipment. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. it's almost like, you know, wait. And then once you've rolled everything out, nothing happens. And of course, about the only thing you've got is your senses. And if you have witnesses, did you hear that? Did you see that? <laughs> and of course, or you haven't unpacked your stuff. Everything's still yeah, there. I know. And it, 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 that happens quite a lot. And then, then, or after you put everything away, after what you think is a really boring investigation, because nothing happened. And then it's like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I was having fun. They had the, you know what the K2 meters are. And yeah, I think they even had a laser disc running. They had all kinds of stuff running. And I'm just Mr. Curious. I, I was uh, for a few years, the end of my uh, career, I was computer analyst for the department. So mm -hmm. you know, I love equipment. I love scanners and cameras and all that stuff. So anyway, they, you know, they're setting up the equipment. And I'm asking questions. Everything's going great. And then I, you know, I'm sitting back, letting them do their job. And out of the blue, I'm just sitting there because um, the house they were checking out, supposedly their 21-year-old son was being kicked out of bed, scratched, and, okay. you know, injured by some spirit in his bedroom. So mm -hmm. we were in their little guest house next door. That's where a lot of activity had happened. And we're watching the meters. And as far as we could see, nothing happened. And I'm right. sitting there just like, you know, drinking a Coke or whatever. And finally, I looked around and I said, hey, I just saw a crazy vision. Can anyone relate to this? I've got like a 10, 11 year old kid. He's up at bat. He's ready to swing. He's in his batting, uh, you know, baseball uniform, batting helmet, chain link fence behind him and crowd behind the fence. Any idea why I'm seeing that image right now? And everyone's looking at me like I'm nuts. And there was no no reason for me to come out with that kind of uh, vision, but I'm glad I did because they packed up. We went into the big house. We're on the first floor, and they're you know trying to get whatever they can get. We go up to the second floor. We go into mom and dad's bedroom for a while. No mm -hmm. activity. We go across the hall, open the door to the son's room where everything is happening, and his entire wall is a mural of him playing baseball when he was younger. He's up at bat, the chain link fence. The whole thing is right there to the point 
where the ghost hunters said, I hope I'm not being derogatory when I call them that. I hope that's what they go by. Yeah. But they were afraid to go in the room at that point. They're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Of course, I was shocked, too, because when I saw the image earlier, I had no idea. And then I, I said, why did I even say anything? Look how they're looking at me as a fool, you know, like. Uh-huh, like, where are you coming up with this? <laughs> and let me, I'm, now I'm curious about, you know, was there, why were they, was he the, did this start happening or what was, did you guys ever identify what was causing that? You know, it was the, one of the hardest things I've had to do and I did it. And because I haven't mentioned any names or anything, I'm going to give this, uh-huh. the ending of it because I don't feel, and what I'm about to say is the truth anyway. Right. Once the family came back home, it's three o'clock in the morning and, you know, they were really good to us. They even catered a, a meal for everyone and they had a large cooler with cold drinks in it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were very nice people. And, you know, the ghost people, ghost hunters said, all we can do is go back and analyze what we have. And then Mr. Big Mouth, me, for some reason, I had to say it. I said, Mom, I want to ask you a question because, you know, it had involved a son. I said, did your son have a twin that died? Oh, God, I knew you were going to And it was the way she turned and looked at her husband. You knew it was a yes. Uh-huh. And this is in front of the son who didn't have that knowledge. He didn't know he had a brother. Oh, man. He didn't know. So it was really... But it was, but it went off very well. I mean, there were, you could hear a pin drop in the room. It was like, what I the, can imagine what like everybody's doing? head must have turned around and looked at you like, oh, here he goes again. Good. <laughs> and sure enough, that's who was, and I, I went into an automatic lecture to the son saying, look, you've got all this stuff. You know, you're living a wonderful life and everything. You don't appreciate it. You're rude to your mom and dad. And I knew all this stuff about him that was coming from his brother. And oh, that's oh, why man. his brother was so upset. But the oh, beautiful man. thing about the whole story is I learned about two months later that the young man totally changed his attitude and all the trouble disappeared. Because I was so going to ask us, did, 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 had this been going on for years or did or was there like oh, a yeah, huge years. Yes, yeah, they were getting ready to move. And this was a, a huge, gorgeous home right on the water. Oh, I imagine those people, when you said that, Chuck, they must have been, what? Like, there was, there was no way. There was no way you could have known that. Like, there's no research. You know, it's one of those things, like, and I imagine that probably was the the, the convincer for that kid. The, the fun part of the story, too, that you might appreciate. That yeah. night, I was on a date with the first date with this girl that I that I really liked. Uh-huh. I said, hey, I'm going to go watch these, uh, you know, ghost hunters. You want to go with me? She said, yeah, I would love to. But I think it creeped her out because I never got to go out with her again. She <laughs> so, was say, he's going to read my mind. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People <laughs> worry about that all the time. Hey, I've got a great story on that. Want to hear it? Yes, of course. This is a great one. When I was married, and I'm not now, we were at the fair and with our with our son and as we're walking around, my uh, wife at the time is a school teacher. And she says, oh, no, here come a couple of the girls that are, you know, my students. And she said, don't say anything about what you do. I said, okay, no problem. You know, I won't. 
So they come over, they're talking and everything and, you know, introducing each other and stuff like that. Well, they're getting ready to walk away. And I said, hey, girls, don't forget corn on the cob. And I don't know what made me say it, but I said it. And they screeched like, ah, they took off running. <laughs> so, so my wife looked at me and said, why did you say that? I said, I don't know. I just saw it. And I did. I saw corn on the cob rotating like it was being you know cooked with butter dripping off it and everything i saw uh -huh. that while i was looking at the girls getting ready to leave so I, I just yelled it i said hey don't forget corn on the cob so what happened the next day my wife came home kind of angry at me and said you told me you couldn't read minds i said i don't and she said well you did last night i said no i didn't and i said why are you saying that she said, the two girls already knew from the web what I do for a living. So while they were approaching, the one girl said, be careful, her husband can read your mind. So the other one said, well, then block what he's seeing and hearing. And she looked up at one of the signs and saw corn on the cob. And she said, keep saying corn on the cob, corn on the cob, because they told the story to my wife. And then she repeated it to me. And I went, now I know why they were showing me corn on the cob. <laughs> but you, and see, that's that's the thing is that you think at that point, this is so random. I know. I know. It's like. I mean, that's corn on the cob. And now you, now you can bet they went back and told all their friends, be careful. Her Don't husband is your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he'll discover your deep, dark secrets. <laughs> You know what? It's really funny. And the reason why I said that is, you know, when I was doing a, as a hypnotherapist. Whoa, so, whoa, back up. Hypnotherapist? Yeah, yeah. I am it's so cool. interested in that field. Yes, it is. I'm sorry to interrupt, but. No, no, of course not. But there are a lot of people that think that when you go into hypnosis, this person will, you know, in other words, you will just spontaneously start like telling, saying your deepest, darkest secrets. And you have to call <laughs> the person. Like, in other words, that you go into like a deep sleep of forgetfulness. And in the meantime, you're like talking about all the things that you never want anybody to know. And it's like yeah. you, I, I, a lot of my clients who were first time um, clients for hypnosis, I had to spend a considerable amount of time explaining to them. And then I would just even put them into a light hypnosis so that they could see you didn't fall asleep. You didn't go to another planet, another dimension, you know, none of that. Um, and it was so funny. I want to say something about one time a police officer. Uh oh, um, it was it was you know off duty. You know there was no it wasn't uh, obviously, yeah. and um, you know I, you know because a lot of people also that I work with, which is for relaxation. You know, like so I said, look, just you know, and I see him. He grabs his gun, and I'm like, where are you going with that? <laughs> what do you think I'm going to send you? It's just. It's just to relax you, you know, like, I don't know. He thought I was going to like Star Trek, you know, transport yeah. you to where <laughs> it's like, where I'm going, I'm taking my gun with me, but I've never forgotten that because it was like, okay, let's, let me explain a little bit better what hypnosis is, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's really, that's why I said that thing about the, that date that you had that she was like, oh yeah, imagination goes off in directions. But I guess in that case, she wasn't too far off, though. Well, once in a while, I do pick up thoughts, but it's very rare. Very I rare. But most people there's a, you get automatic. Getting a little feedback there. But is it okay now? Yeah. Okay. We're good. You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Yeah, it, it seems to be random. Uh, I remember one other time too, um, one of my nieces was, when I first moved to Florida, she was dating a police officer in another community. And when he met me, all we did is shake hands. And right away I said, you're working on a murder case, aren't you? And he like, like pulled his head back, like, yeah. And I said, I just, I don't know why, but I want you to know it is the husband and he's killed before. And he said, in our community, we have only one other unsolved murder. And it just so happens that the missing woman now that they suspect he murdered his wife also uh -huh. murdered back 20 years ago when he worked for that lady, the only case that's unsolved in that, uh, you know, that community. And that, that was just by changing his hand. Wow. Did you ever know what happened with that? No, I'm just curious. It's like. Last I heard, um, he was, before they could even get to court with it on, on murdering the wife. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the evidence I gave was right on the money about his wife and even a grandchild and described the grandchild, everything about the situation, you know, I was able to come up with. And he, he ended up, from what I understand, maybe even died in jail over okay. non-related charges and that happens all the time. Yeah. So they don't even get okay. charged with the murder because they've done so many other things that catch up to them. Well, that uh, now with the DNA, even though sometimes it oh, works no. really slow. That that guy out in California, the golden the golden gate killer, he he they were thinking it was several people and they they found him. What was it? Because they got a relative DNA and it matched up from a really old crime scene. It's and, amazing uh, they kept the evidence that long. Yeah, I know. That was incredible. But, um, and you know what? Sometimes people, you know, like you were saying, well, he was suspected of that murder and maybe one. And then you think, I want, it makes you wonder if in between he killed other people, they, they were just never found. Oh, absolutely. You know, there are. You know, that happens. Sure. Sure. You know, and uh, how people uh, can do that. People don't realize that there's sometimes, especially when they find, even with DNA, sometimes skeletal remains, they don't have an identity really to go with it. Um, if they find somebody out in the field, you know, and all you've got is a skull. Yeah. Sometimes it's uh, it's really difficult to even find out who that person is, is to begin with as far as tracking down who might have had a motive to kill that person. True. I, I've, I've got a, some of the murder cases I've worked on are reversed they're not murder at all and it's kind of nice that the family get to hear the truth from their son or daughter on what happened right uh, i the, the first one i did out of this country was you know i'm here in florida mm -hmm. over skype i'm helping the police department out in germany oh, really? and it was kind of funny because i'm describing an area to them you know with water and like mm -hmm. it looked like a boat ramp going down like cobblestones into the water and I described everything around it and how far it would be, you know, how the shore across was, you know, like, right, you could almost jump over to it. So right. it wasn't a very likely area to, to find a body. And I said, he's telling me that he, he went into that spot and the body went down to the right. And that's where his body is right now. And then he, but he told me it wasn't intentional. He was drunk. He slipped on the rocks. He, he fell in, he lost his footing and went under and that was it. But the funny thing is, he says, uh, you know, they had me on speakerphone and the dad was there and everything. And they said, 
Well, that's not true because we went, we found that spot that you're talking about. That's where we were with divers today. And we searched the whole area and we talked about that. Could the body be left or right? And we all agreed there was no current to pull it in either direction. So we felt that the divers did their job and there is no body. And I said, well, he's telling me that you overlooked it, but he he's off to the right. And boy, the next day I get a call that they found the body oh. in that water off to the right. So, you know, they probably, they still would have found it without me, but it mm. was pretty, if you well, could. No, Chuck, because if, if, you know, if they had already searched that day and they hadn't found anything, chances are they were not going to return and search that area again. Yeah. Typically they pull up stakes and off they go. You got to be careful with this work too. I know I was watching one that I think I forget on a YouTube or something. It was mm -hmm. really interesting where uh, a model, a, a blonde model was involved with a photo shoot near a highway. And all of a sudden she went missing and all this stuff. Right. So they called in a psychic. The psychic said, this is where you want to go. And there's a big boulder there. And next to that is where he buried her body. Okay. They go there and they're digging and they find nothing. So they're kind of like saying, okay, that, oh, I know what it was. While they were digging, they're ready to give up and they find her body like on the other side of the city somehow, you know? So okay. what the, what the psychic, what the medium gave was incorrect. And when they aired that on the news, a retired detective recalled working on a case like 30 years earlier where they dug up a white, uh, or a blonde uh, model at that exact spot next to the boulder, but they were 30 years off. See what I mean about how you got to be careful when you yes when you start receiving information and giving it out. And let me ask you, did they on that original case that was 30 years prior? Did they find the body there, or they, they just right next to the rock where they were now digging, looking for the current model? And there was nothing there, but then they get a call that they find the body on the other side of the uh, city. But the, the psychic was right there. At one point, there was a body right. of, of a blonde model where they were digging. And it was a freak thing that that. Uh, right. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, what were you, what was that psychic tuning into? Like, it's almost like a mixed kind of thing. Like it, it's a tough world for anyone listening to think that they're going to just Hey, I've got this ability. I'm going to go out and start solving all these murders. Yes. Um, one of the hardest ones I did was a guy who was, um, he was shot with a bullet to the top of the head. And when I gave the family the information, I was, I had given so much prior. I held that. I didn't tell them right away. And mm -hmm. then when I got all the other information, it was seven days later that the body did show up. And I'd okay. said, he's laying in very shallow water on his back and bullet in the head. And they do an autopsy, police scene, and all of that. And here's the strange part. The medical examiner deemed it um, suicide by drowning. And when the family got a hold of me and everything, they said, they said, Chuck, how could you be so far gone? They said, you were right about the area. You were right about the water. But they said, no bullet. I said, oh, no, there's a bullet. There's definitely a bullet. How do you drown in four or five inches of water laying on your back? Right. I said, so, you know, think about it. There's more to this. Anyway, they had to fly me across country. I don't want to say where, uh -huh. but they flew me over, uh, flew me up there. I had to talk to a judge. They signed a, um, 
an order for second autopsy with a different medical examiner. Okay. And in minutes found the bullet. Okay. So you're telling me that first medical examiner missed the bullet in the head? Yeah. But then I find out this was uh, mob connected. Oh. got paid off for it. The Emmy was warned. You'll, you'll be on the table next if you don't. Yeah. But hey, how do I convince him that he drowned? Don't worry about it. Just say <laughs> I know. And it's so funny because I'm up there when, when I heard it was mob connected, I said, oh, I got to get back to Middleburg. I said, yeah. Hey, uh, what's the next plane going on? Yeah, yeah, get next me out plane. of here. <laughs> but yeah. And you would think it's like of all the places in the head, you know, like how are you going to miss a bullet of all things? Oh, I saw yeah. the autopsy uh, pictures and the first grader could have put his finger in the hole and said, there it is. There it is. It was, I mean, this guy, in, fa in fact, he was bald and a little suntan. And it was just a big black circle up there. It's like, man, I wonder what happened here. Yeah. And I wonder, it makes you wonder, like, how does that guy's uh, credibility, it had to have suffered after that. Oh, they fired him. And it went, oh, okay. uh, it went, you know, I mean, it went, it was very big news that he was um, charged mm -hmm. with it. Uh, right. With, you know, falsifying the report and the uh, autopsy. And that's a serious offense. Absolutely. It is. It is. He's, He's making it look like uh, accidental death, I guess, is what you call it. If you drown in five inches, yeah, and then off some damn psychic out of Florida came here and we had it made. He ruined it, you know. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, well, I gotta go. <laughs> uh, it's funny how but, the whole yeah. thing came about, even because one of the participants, one of the family members, was in Florida, and he, the guy, had only been missing. But when I got his name right, his job right. And I right. started saying, he's in spirit. He's not, he's not alive. But it wasn't until seven days later that they found that he, in fact, was dead. Okay. So, you know, the whole thing was pretty amazing. Chuck, have you ever come across cases where people think that person is dead and they're not? They just decided that they want to, like, leave their old life behind? And it happens, I guess. I did one famous one, and I don't know where we stand on it. But the person that had the reading, remember the one with Olivia Newton-John and her her lover who went out on the boat supposedly and either fell overboard or relocated? Or something about that. That's a, that goes back many many years, probably thirty years. Yes. And I um, I gave a session to a woman, and I didn't know why that was coming in. Okay. Said, why am I getting this? You know, and I'm I'm seeing Olivia Newton-John. I'm hearing her songs. I'm getting all of this and uh, turned out that she used to go to uh, meditation classes with her fiance, the one that was missing. Mm -hmm. So for him to give me the information from spirit, right? he knew her and that's why he was giving, you know, the whole, the whole scenario. Right. And when she booked the reading, it wasn't for that. She wanted a reading about her mom or whatever. And that I said, I don't know why I'm getting Olivia Newton-John. I don't know why I'm seeing a guy fall off a boat and I'm seeing this, seeing that. But then later, supposedly they spotted him in another country. He was still alive, but there was never real proof of that. Right. Because I know sometimes people even do it for insurance purposes. I mean, you hear yeah. a lot of times, you know, people, you know, I, I know, you know, sometimes people, unfortunately, the family, you know, there's people sometimes that uh, just they they just don't want to be be that person anymore, and they just leave. 
Like that's I'm I'm gone. They want to disappear, and a lot of them get away with it when they do it. Yeah. Yep. 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 You know, it's not. But the. And how about have you ever had an encounter where you've had maybe somebody come to you in spirit that doesn't have per se a family looking for them or coming to you saying, hey, I'm trying to find what happened to this person. And they come to you saying, help me get found or identified or anything like that. I don't think I've had that yet. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Because all these things, of course, happen because there's somebody out there in the land of the living who's saying, hey, I need to find out where or what happened to this person. And I'm then, of sure, course, yeah, that one I've had many times. And I'm very meticulous on, I mm -hmm. want proof that it's them coming through before I commit. Okay. I don't ever want to tell anyone, oh, yeah, your son or daughter or neighbor or whatever's on the other side when they're not. That would mm, be yes. And I've got an agreement with my own my own spirit guides, you know, that if that ever happens, I'll never work on that type of case again. I'll never I mean, do it again. Now that you mentioned spirit guides, how did you encounter or identify your spirit guides that were going to help you with this work? They picked me, to be honest. They picked me, and it's like they um they just started doing crazy things. Just here's a fun example. One day I'm at work at the police station and I get a they called me in my office and said, someone in the lobby to talk to me. And it was a friend of mine. So uh, at the time, I was also doing video editing and stuff like that. We had mm -hmm. a super modern uh, auditorium, you know, with the theater seats in it and all that stuff. Right. And in the back, we had um, probably $100,000 worth of editing equipment with all kinds of stuff that most of it I picked out. So it was the perfect place for me to sit and talk to my friend who was having a little bit of trouble in life. So as he was standing there talking to me, I'll never forget it. I'm looking at him and I'm trying not to laugh. And what's happening is I'm seeing two large hoop earrings on this guy. And he's not the type of guy to, to do any of that stuff. Right. So I started laughing and I just said, is there any reason why your mom is coming through to me right now? And I'm seeing you're wearing hoop earrings. I can almost pluck them off your ears. That's how clear they are. And he just put his head down and he says, no, but last night, my son, I haven't seen him in a few months. He came home and he had all these piercings and tattoos and all this stuff. And when he came in, he said he wanted to move back home. And I kicked him out and said, no, you're not staying with me until you get rid of that stuff. And he kicked his son out. And his mother was really upset about it. Uh -huh. So we sat and we had a long chat about it and everything. And bottom line, he did let him back in and they, you know, things kind of healed. So it was good. Okay. But I'll never forget how real those earrings look to the point. Oh, that, my God, is incredible. Because you must hoop earrings figure in this. And what I said is, hey, you weren't wearing those when you walked in. And as <laughs> soon as I said hooped earrings, he knew what, it, what was going on. Isn't that incredible? And probably imaginable. Of all the things, like you said, that that he was like didn't want to compromise on was that his son was wearing all these piercings and all this stuff. Yep. It's a, wow. I call it a screenplay upstairs. When they're ready to give stuff, mm -hmm. they give it in such a fashion, it goes beyond that of what a human would ever be able to think up. You know, they're right. sometimes their their precision is just better than a movie director. So let me ask you, have you developed like a system of symbols? Like when I see this, I know that what they're trying to tell me is 
Yeah, that. But, but there's new ones every single reading I do. There's new okay. ones. But yeah, there a lot of them I recognize or I'll know, I'll know what they are. And sometimes, like uh, the one I did yesterday, it sounded silly and I didn't even want to say it. But the woman's daughter, a very young daughter, and all she did is she put a fork in front of me, but it looked like I could reach out and grab the fork. I mean, it was that. Big. And I said, tell me something about forks in the house. I wanted to hear you're buying new ones or something like that. She said, today I actually counted them. We bought a set of 36 forks, and now there's only six. So today I was going through the forks saying, where are they going? What's happening to them? But, yeah, she said forks were, she actually counted them. And here's, and the daughter was seeing it. The daughter saw it. And during the reading, wanted okay. to talk about it. Basically, yeah, that was that, 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 that confirmation that it's. So sometimes my symbols are, are real life and they're very, I cannot tell them apart from real life. And like the earrings, you just, there's no difference. I love it. It's, it is fun. <laughs> And how about dreams? Do you ever have any dreams as, or is it usually when only when you're awake? Only when I'm awake. I don't, and this is odd, but a lot of dreams I have in the dream, they'll say, he's a medium, you know, in the dream. And it's kind okay. of weird, like, all right. And then I go, oh yeah, I can do that stuff. And then I kind of question whether it's real or can I really do it or whatever. I, then they kind of reassure me. And, you know, then you wake up and go, wow, that was another odd dream about, and I do remember not too long ago, well, right after my, my divorce, I remember having a dream. And in the dream, I was fortunate enough to meet this woman that I'm kissing in the dream. <laughs> and in the dream, I said to her, listen, I know we're both dreaming right now. But I said, but when you just kissed me, I could feel the warmth of your lips, the moisture. I could feel your skin. It felt like the real deal. I said, I didn't know dreams could be that realistic uh -huh. and she said oh yeah if they want it to be then it will be you know then later i woke up and i went boy was that weird but we were talking about the fact that i was dreaming right and i was impressed with the dream that they were giving me you know the imagery mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that it's like so much more detailed than a regular dream it is because like yeah. i've always tried to analyze are my dreams in color can i yeah. feel can i touch can i and, a lot, and several dreams, too. I don't know if other people get this, but I'm experiencing, like, weightlessness where I'm learning how to, like, take a step and then project myself forward and then take another step. And in the dream, I'm practicing going further and further and further with each step before I have to, you know, push off again. Right. And it's and almost it's like recurring. It's the same reoccurring dream. Like that people walking on the moon, I guess that people do like in the dream state. Have you ever done anything, even though I'm thinking you, in a way you do what they call remote viewing. Um, would you say that's part of the work you do as far as when you do? I mean, the stuff yes. I, I went to see a, um, remember the movie came out, something about goats or falling. Yeah. Goats? And that uh, something. Yeah. The goats. I know which one. Yeah. I know okay. which one. When that first came out, I, I left Florida and went up to, Philadelphia, I was doing a large group there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it, but in the audience was the person that that movie was modeled after. Really? He, he, in fact, his name was on the screen and everything. Mm -hmm. So he went out to dinner with us that night when everything was over. And he said he was watching me closely. He said, I don't know if you know that, know this. He said, 
But for several of the readings, he said, you were simply remote viewing. You were reporting on what a person had in their home and where it was situated. He right. said, the only difference between what I do and the way they did it is it might take them three or four days to get one image of one living room. Okay. And then they had to put it together. And, and this was interesting too. He said, they would put them in a room where they had all these um, like safe deposit boxes Right. And only one would have an item in it. And they would sit there for up to 10 hours just looking at all the empty lockers. And at the end of it, they would say, which locker is it and what's in it? And some would get it right and most would get it wrong. But it was interesting to see how they trained for it. And right. I, I'm a strong believer in exercising the, the muscle of, you know, the brain that does all the work for you. Keeping right. the channel open. You, saying that, that you did plenty of it while you were doing police work. I did. And and, and it seems like now we're, um, this, with all the COVID and everything happening, mm -hmm. I get more and more calls all the time. So keeping pretty busy with it. I just can't do the group readings anymore until all of this is you know, right. settled down. The internet and Zoom and. Yeah, but it's not, it's not the same. You get in front of a large group and, and the funny things that will come out. And then the crazy things where you, and I just blurted out and the way I operate too, when I, when I do it, what? what's he talking about? I know when I, when I do a large group, I usually base it on the first reading or two. That'll tell me how the night's going to go. And I remember <laughs> one of the last groups I did with everyone sitting there, I picked one lady out and I said, I want to start with you. I said, I don't know why, but I'm seeing the old Tarzan movies. I don't care about, Jane, I don't care about boy, I don't care about the monkey, but I really care about Tarzan. And it's got to be Johnny Weissmiller. Remember him? Of course. And her reply to the whole audience was, and I just, I wanted to do the victory dance. Well, my mother used to date Johnny Weissmiller. Oh, it's like, yes. I mean, <laughs> that's what I, that's I, mean, what I look for. How. <laughs> There's no way it's like, well, he he uh he researched that really. <laughs> oh yeah, I hear that a lot. You were a cop, you know how to use those computers. Right, yeah, okay. Are you kidding me. Exactly. I research nothing. And, that, and that's another thing people don't realize, especially as time goes by. People's lives were not as documented as they are now, where everybody's taking a picture of everything. Oh, I know, I'm I know. This, I'm going here, I'm cooking this. This is something recent, way back. Nobody Nobody was doing that. People lived their lives almost, for lack of a better word, in anonymity, unless it was like an event, like a wedding, you know, or something. But outside of that, nobody knew what was going on. Well, you know, when it comes to research, here's an issue, too. I get it all the time where someone will book a reading. They use their credit card and, you know, we schedule it. Mm -hmm. I dial the number and it's not even that person. They paid for it and booked it for a friend, for a okay. family member. So if I did research the person with the credit card, what good would it do me? Oh, so do you think they do it on purpose then, like to throw you some off? Do. They, they, some people think they're going to outsmart me. They really do. And all they're doing is hurting the reading. When you start putting negative energy on it, right. it's like pouring water on a campfire. It'll it'll fizzle out after a while. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like, because otherwise I imagine they would say, you know, this is not for me. This is for this person, whatever. Let's say if you wanted to go ahead. Some and do. Yeah, some do. They're, they're up front with it. And I say, great. But in your and I as a medium, I'm left in the same spot. Well, now I've got their first name and a mm -hmm. phone number, but that's all I've got. And right. I, I don't want to research it. I just it would take all the fun out of it. It wouldn't, and it's so dishonest. Why would you do that? 
Exactly. But they I, you start going down the list of everything on their Facebook. It's going to be a little obvious. That's what you're doing. Well, of course. And it, 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 but, and I think sometimes these people, and I don't, I, there's nothing wrong with being a skeptic because in life you have to be a skeptic up to a certain yeah. point and for certain things. But I think they're almost afraid of being proven wrong because then that opens the door to like, whoa, you know, what I, life after death, what, you know. I just went through that, through that recently. And I, I can say this part of it on the air. I, I did a, um, a reading for the wife of a state trooper. Her husband died uh, on duty during a high-speed chase. And this is in another state. So I know nothing about this guy. Right. One of the troopers booked the reading for the wife, knowing it would it would help her. Mm -hmm. So along with giving, and I've got to I've got to keep her um, her attention for a full hour when I do a reading. That's a lot of data. That's a lot of information. But here's one thing, and I've got, and she recorded it and sent it to me. I asked her. I said, um, <clears throat> "He's telling me something about a clock or a watch that's not working. Does that make sense?" She said, well, yeah, there's a watch. I want to give my husband's watch to my son, but it needs a new battery. So that's not working. So even that alone is pretty cool that he's in spirit and he knows that. And I think I'm done with that piece. I said, look at the face of the watch. He's telling me it stopped a little after 10 o'clock. She said, well, what number is he showing you? I said, well, to be honest, I'll take anything after 10 up until 11 and be happy with it, you know, because that's still remarkable. Right. Show me 10, 15. And she went real quiet. And she said, well, that's his badge number, 10, 15. Oh. Yeah, that's what I did. I said, okay. And then, hold on, Chuck, let me get the watch. And she got the watch. It's And it stopped at 10, 15. Oh. And one thing about that, if, if you're a skeptic, mm -hmm. it's amazing. One guy said to me that I probably looked up his badge number or whatever, because, you know, when I mentioned it to a certain person, right? I said, yeah, you're right. I looked up his badge number. Then I had to get on a plane, go up to New England, <laughs> find her house, break in, find the watch. What? which is in her pocketbook, which is going to be pretty hard. And I had to set the stopped watch to 10.15 and then get back in a taxi, go back to the airport, fly back home. Also, yeah. I could give her that one-minute message. Yes. Does that make sense? But yeah, there's people like that. That that that's an easier explanation, but they don't and, but they don't extrapolate it the way you just did. They just think, oh yeah, 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 sure. Like, yeah, he probably found out that this guy's badge. It's 10, 15, but it's like, yeah, you're forgetting the part about that, the watch where it's not. And, it, and how amazing is this? She has the watch in her possession. That's incredible. Put it in her purse. She didn't notice 10, 15 being right. the badge number. He's in spirit and knows, hey, that's my badge number. Yes. Or he adjusted the watch to 10, 15. After the fact. Wow. So either way, either way, you've got quite a quite a thing to try to figure out here you know so basically and, and 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 this is the thing you know sometimes i imagine for people like that when they lose a loved one so i don't know so quickly in other words it's not a disease and illness where people like progressively get worse and you know they're going to pass away this goes from one day to the next is that thing that like the comfort of knowing okay this 
first of all, there is an afterlife if they, they have any doubts and that this person is okay as uh, as far as uh, that, that, that there's some type of connection, I guess is what I'm saying. That's, that's You know, because I experienced it myself. I told you things started happening for me and they started rehappening mm -hmm. once I was on the police department. And being in Salem, why not go for a reading to find out if it's real or not? Sure. So I was off duty one day and I went into a, one of the shops. And I'll never forget because as I walked in and wanted to go into the room, the woman going to give the reading, her um, her partner was going to set me up in the room. And he sat me down to give me the, like the preliminary, like, here's the way I want you to do it and all that. And then he said, do you mind if I touch you? And I thought it was kind of weird. Uh -huh. And he reached over and he says, you're blocked in here. And he was running his like the back of his hand up and down on my sternum mm -hmm. up in that area. He knew I was a cop. He thought I had a wire on. I was, maybe, I was, maybe I was getting ready to bust them. Makes you wonder what were they doing there? Like and I'm thinking like this this isn't fair. I'm not being treated right here. But anyway, I you know, then the woman came in, gave me the reading, and some of the stuff she got, I wouldn't I wouldn't give her any clues. I wouldn't give her any help. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I even did this to her where she started it off. She said, well, your mom's got her hands together and there's a little present with a little gold bow on it. And she's saying, here, give this to Chuck, a little present. And I said, oh, that's nice. I didn't tell her that that day happened to be my birthday. Oh, and, you know, and if you're doing a reading and the medium gets it right, yeah. they're fueled by positive energy. They're going to go, they're sure. going to be less subjective as they look at the material they're getting they're going to they're going to be more open and then mm -hmm. they figure like well, i can get a couple wrong now i've got all these right so they're more free in what they give you but the beauty of the whole reading she got a lot of things right almost all of it but it wasn't until i'm leaving the room and she said hey chuck if you have another reading come and see me i really like your mom and then i'm going yeah 50 bucks i guess you you know that's what you want you want me to come back cuz you know that was the attitude i had at the time Yes. But then Boy. she blew it, or she changed everything. She said, okay, good, because I really like your mom, and I love her British accent. <gasps> oh. And mom's from England. And there's no way that I would mention that or give her that. And mom lived in, you know, her, her whole life down here in, in Florida, not up in Salem where this happened. So it's not, not like they knew my family tree or my family. And I, I sat back down at the table. I said, say that again. I said, you can actually hear her voice. Oh yeah, she's been talking the whole time. What? So, so you kind of admitted you you finally gave her a chance that you're right. We became very good friends after that. Very good. In fact, I I still uh, contact her once in a while. She's got one of the shops. One of the it was the leading shop in Salem for a while. You probably even went right by it. You know when you were visiting. I remember I I went by so many shops and there was like this when you go there the first time you're like overwhelmed because it's like everywhere you go there's you know that theme yeah. of you know everything and people walking around with the costume and yeah. are you aware of Lori Cabot? Yes, of course. Okay, she was um pretty much a friend of mine, but there were times when there was a place called Red Sandwich Shop. I think it's still there. Okay. Um, and when I worked at the old police station, which was next door to the sandwich mm -hmm. shop, we would go in and have lunch, you know, a few, a few of the guys that I worked with. But it was so funny to have us sitting there and sitting at the table. Lori would come in and sit at the table with us. So now you got your tourists coming in 
taking yeah. pictures and looking and going, oh my God, look at the witch having lunch with the cops, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like they were, don't worry. But to us, she was one of us. She was one of our friends. She was. <laughs> that, that's, let me tell you something. I'm telling you, you I wonder how many uh, albums or, you know, you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. thing, you know, for yeah, you're more well known than you think. And let me ask you, Chuck, um, like you said, now what happens? Let's say, do you ever have like when you somebody uh, contacts you from another country, what is it? You get an interpreter, or they get an interpreter if there's like a language barrier. Or, and I guess my question is if, um, if let's say the victim or whatever, let's say they're trying to find somebody, just like you said in Germany. And there's a, there's a difference in language. What is it? They just show you more symbols, or how does they that do? Work? And in this case, the young man was from Texas, so oh okay. So the victim, the victim, or the kid uh, that uh -huh. died, and the, the family. In fact, it was all over the news. I first saw it on Nancy Grace, you know okay. that case. And then I had given a reading to someone. And you know what was funny is when I called in, they had me on speakerphone, mm -hmm. and one of the women received a text. And the text was something like, you are on the phone with a medium right now. Just know that he works with God. And there was no way that woman, who was a friend of the family, she didn't know why she sent the text or anything. But they read it to me. And they said, we know her. We're going to find out why she sent it. But she said to trust what he's got to say. He's working directly with God. And she didn't even know that they had contacted a medium. So it's kind of what? weird the way that, that the word traveled like that, you know? Yes. Yes. So in other words, there's the, for you, there's no, there's no barrier if we're talking somebody that's from another, another no. country. No, when I okay. first went international and did the uh, Skype thing, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure about that, but it was kind of cool that people could book and they'd get on the calendar, set up the time and the date. So the first one I get is a lady in Japan Okay. And I'm looking at their sheet going, oh, God, I hope she speaks English, you know, because I'm going to be in a lot of trouble here. Uh-huh. I get her on, and she spoke broken English. Okay. And then it was so funny. I said, I don't know if I can talk with the husband, because what if he's Japanese, you know, and I can't. And the first thing I said, I'm seeing the state flag of Texas, big as anything. And her words were, well, my husband that died, that's why I'm having the reading, is from Texas. There so who go. would think that a lady in Japan is married to a yeah. Texan? So, you know, it's like, okay, that works. And we did the whole hour with no problem. And you know what? And I'm also thinking, I imagine maybe even those people that are in another country will contact you. Those, those, those possible skeptics like saying, well, he's in another country altogether. So there's no way he could know. Ooh, good idea. True. True. And be, you know, have gotten behind our backs and gotten all this information because he's not even here. Believe me, you know, if I'm doing a reading. It's a hundred percent pure. If I know anything at all about a case before a, a person before I do it, I let them know what I know. Okay. I tell them, well, I know your sister or brother, and I already know this or I know that. I'm right up front with it. I'll even go this far. There is one thing I do cheat a little. Now you're listening, right? Like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> if they're in say Israel or something like that, mm -hmm. and once they've paid and they've got their address, right. I have to Google it and just look at the satellite picture. I just want to know what is their world like? Okay. I'm not getting any information, but I'm getting a good feeling of how life is where they live. And okay. sometimes it's really intriguing. Like they might be on a small island where they're the only one on the island. You, you, 
you never right. know, you know, and and I, I've had some amazing contacts. And I bet. Very unusual, I'm sure. Even, uh, I hate to say it, no, I don't hate to say it, but I'm, and I don't want to get into the personal side of it, but it was uh, John Lennon for a family member of John Lennon. Really? And I didn't know that when they called. They they booked the reading, and I just said, why am I seeing the biggest keyboard I've ever seen in my life? This person you're wanting to contact has nothing but music around him, music, music, music. And I said, I see him singing into a microphone. I see it just kept going on and on. And then finally they said, that's my, you know, family member, John Lennon. So I never know. I never know who I'm going to read. And that was like, talk about left field. Oh, yeah. And the one story that I've told every show, because it's my favorite, where two women booked a reading, sat down in front of me in my home, know nothing about them. They were so secretive. All I knew was her name was Lovey. And I thought, as they're sitting there, I look to the right, and there's an empty sofa against that wall, you know, just sitting there. But when I turned my head, I let two people in to the office. But now I've got three. There's a woman sitting there. Clear as a bell. She's even got the black hat on with the little, what's that veil in front of it that they used to uh wear back in the day? Uh And she's sitting up nice and straight with her purse in her lap and telling me how she died and everything else. Then I'm relaying it to the girls. Everything is fitting. And I'm going, oh, wow, I've kicked it up a notch. This is great. I love it. I love it. Until I heard, hey, Chuck, tell them I'm here in a real deep, raspy voice. Oh, and I said, I know that voice. And I turn and look. The woman is sitting next to Ray Charles. And I'm looking what? at Ray Charles and I said, oh, my God, Ray. I said, I know who you are. I can't tell them you're here. They're going to get up and walk out. They'll think I'm crazy. And he says, no, no, no. But he's speaking to me just like you and I are talking. Uh-huh. He said, tell them I'm here. Tell them I'm here. They'll love it. They'll love it. So finally, <clears throat> I kept going between mom and the girls and trying not to look at Ray Charles. And that was hard to do. So finally, Lovey says, hey, Chuck, there's no one sitting on the sofa. What the heck are you looking at? Uh, that empty space there. What is there? I said, all right, I'm going to level with you. I said, I see your mom. She's very pretty. I described her. I said, I guess when you're in heaven, you can be around anyone you want to be around. And I guess she was a big fan of a certain music icon that he agreed to come down with her for the reading. And he's sitting next to her. And they're looking at me like like eyes popping out of their head. I said, it's Ray Charles. I didn't know it, but the two girls are Ray Charles's real sisters. What? Yes. That's why they came to me. And think about it. Ray Charles went to the School for the Blind in St. Augustine. I did not. Mom grew up over in Jacksonville. and I I even know the address where the house Uh is. But I had no idea. Here you were thinking, how are they going to take this when I tell them Ray Charles is, you know, for, for me, the beautiful part of the story is that, you know, it's one thing to see him, connect with him. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, they went out to their car and brought in the family photo album. What? With them standing next to their brother, Ray, at Christmas time and him working out. He was right. The first photograph is Ray Charles sitting on a riding lawnmower as a joke, you know, because he can't see. Right. But the two sisters are behind them and the mother is behind the two girls. 
and she, the, even the mom is exactly what I'm seeing on my sofa. Okay. So for me to get to turn the pages and I cherished every page, I'm touching history here. I'm touching a major icon. You know, it was like, damn, why couldn't I have met him when he was alive? You know, and of course it, it, it never would have been that. That's incredible. I'm sure you must have been thinking all that time. Okay, how is this going to go down when I mention <laughs> this? So I never know when I book a reading. I never know. I never know where where it'll take me. I never know what's going to happen. Some are you know boring. Yeah. Some are touching, and some are. You have to have a special mindset, almost like a a cop has to be built a certain way to do that mm -hmm. job properly. And even sure. with all the stuff going on today with all the police, there are, as you know, oh, sure. good outweigh the bad. Sure. There are some bad apples, but you're going to find that in religion. You're going to find it in medical. You're going to find it in every field. There are bad apples out there. Absolutely. And there's Absolutely. no way to get around it. But you don't find a bad doctor and then fire all the doctors. Of course not. Of course not. And that's the thing. And, you know, I've worked with, I mean, personally, I mean, my grandfather, um, and he rest in peace. He was a police officer. I mean, in my line of work, I've been, I work, and I still have very close personal friends who are police officers. And I can tell you, uh, every one of them that I know, yes, like you said, you always have that one guy or that one is like, oh my God, you know, but most of them really truly uh, care about what they do. They're not out there. As a, as a matter of fact, a lot of times they, they do, if it demands, it puts their, their safety in peril. Sure. To help somebody, and their their the thing is to clean up the the garbage in society. That's what they're working with. Yes, yes. And there is a lot of sadness that <clears throat> that you have to deal with that the average person will never see. Right on a daily basis. Yeah, and on a daily basis, you really and you never know. You're you're eating a, a lunch one minute, and then mm -hmm. you're at a death the next minute. You know, it's like, or you're running, you're running after a bad guy, or you you never know. Yes. And there's a, and um, I want to say also that a lot of people don't realize, you know, that in police work, it's not just the crime thing, you know, as far as that sometimes you're forced into situations where you see a very sad things, you know, Yes, uh, uh, that happens to human beings and you're there and, and it's not necessarily a crime per se, as in somebody's going to get arrested, but you see people living in circumstances or just things that happen that when you, start seeing that day after day every day yeah um yeah it, it let me tell you, it does take a toll on you as far as uh people don't realize really what's involved with that type of work uh for people to come back you know and and do it you know day after day it's just not necessarily the uh i, I want to say maybe like what a lot of people when they see the tv shows and stuff like that there's yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's uh, what they call, I want to say, part of the daily grind that eventually, you know, it, it wears you down as far as, um, the, in other words, it, it's a, it takes a special type of person, to, especially like yourself. You did that for so many years. Okay. Yeah. And then to, to move and come down here, I'm not really isolated because I've helped with local police enough that most of them know me now anyway. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget the time I was with my son and I, motorcycle cop pulled me over and I went, what are we doing? And I said, John, it doesn't matter. Maybe I've got a brake light out. Who knows? We'll see, you know, pulls me over. And he goes, I just happened to be behind you. I ran your plate. He said, 
my wife loves your uh, book. Can I have you autograph it? And he had it with him. Would I autograph the psychic cop? Of course, he's a motorcycle cop. Uh, and on my uh, the cover is me on my motorcycle. Right. So he, he thought that was the greatest thing to go home and show her. Here you go. You know, I got him to sign it. That's he said right. he'd been carrying it for weeks, and he already knew what I was driving and where I lived and all that stuff. So it was cute. It was fun. That that that, that, that is nice here. <laughs> Psychic cop. I kind of don't like it, but I have to go back to. They gave me the name upstairs, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> don't you don't you get officers who, after the fact, will tell you, "Hey, come over here. I got a story to tell you." I'm sure he's got yeah, some. Right. You won't do it in front of other people. Oh, of course not. Are you crazy? No. No. They'll be like, they'll be anybody thinks no, that guy's a real skeptic. He doesn't believe in none of this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, and then what you run into too is one department may make arrangements for me to go help them with a crime, mm -hmm. and then they say, "But look, we're going to claim we never talked to you." Well, of course. <laughs> I said, well, you know, wow. What's yeah, you know, like for me, you know, <laughs> right? Like Mission Impossible will deny. <laughs> yeah, I'll just slip out the back door, you know. But it was like that when I was a patrolman. Anyway, you get a a big bust or whatever, and then the detectives or the chief jump in and get all the glory, you know? <laughs> Same yeah, thing. Go in front of the mics or give the, oh, yeah, give the, <laughs> the art department, you know? Yeah, you're like, yeah, all right, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I did that, not you. <laughs> and it's like, the, I guess it's part of the work and everything. And sometimes anybody has its its good things also, you yeah. know, when it stuff like that, that like, yeah, sure. Take all the glory. That's great. So many laughs. So many funny things would happen, you know. And it was it was funny. Yeah, I loved it. So other job. I don't think there's any other job like it. There isn't. There really, 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 really isn't. And um, yeah, it, it, it. I just think you know, technology. Um, and the, the, this is for those people that have been living for at least uh, you know, like more than twenty five or thirty years. <laughs> There's, you know, people don't realize how technology has changed everything, especially police work, but overall everything, everything. Like I tell everybody, you know, there was once upon a time that not everybody was walking around with a cell phone oh, and by extension and by extension. There was a time where, you know, I remember uh, those answering machines, you know, like every, every, now everybody's like on demand, you know, I called yeah, you. Right. I didn't even answer. And I said, yeah, once upon a time, none of that existed. It was how great. Remember the movies in black and white and if if they showed a restaurant scene and this guy's really important, he's a doctor and he gets a phone call, they would walk over with a serving tray with a black wired phone on it with a long cord on it and bring it over to the table. But but you were a big deal if they brought the phone to your table that you had to accept the call while you're eating. That was yes. a big deal. Yes, it was. It, it, you know, and I tell everybody, you know, once upon a time, you maybe had like maybe one or two phones in the house and they were wired and that was it. There was no answering machine. And if somebody called and nobody answered, guess what? They would just call back later the next day. Sure. <laughs> and now you can screen it at least. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, but, you know, everybody gets that thing. Like even my kids, you know, uh, sometimes I'm outside and I don't have pockets. So I'll leave my phone here because I don't want to uh, get back. Mom, I called you. Why didn't you answer? It's like, because... <laughs> Hello. That's what I do. I, I, yes, I can't help it. You know, I don't have a pocket and I'm not going to walk, you know, but yeah. It's, it's, yeah I'll do that. I'll say, I'm going to go out back, sit, sit by the pool, have a sandwich, yeah. leave me alone, you know. And exactly. Yeah. That we're, you're on demand all the time. It's right. like, 
and I remember like, you know, and then you know, then, then it, it definitely had its good, its upside, less stressful sometimes in, in some instances. Anyway, I Chuck, I want to thank you so. It's been great to speak to you. It's uh, it, let me ask you just for our podcast listeners because I'm going to have uh, a link to your to your website on the credits of the show. What is a website that people can go to if they want more information about you or to book a reading, et cetera? Sure. You, you can actually Google the psychic cop, you know, the name of my book, and it'll okay. take you to the website. Um, right. Or you can put in Chuck, C-H-U-C-K, Bergman, mm -hmm. B as in boy, B-E-R-G-M-A-N.com, and that'll okay. take you to the website. And there are a couple of really good videos and uh, okay. you can watch on the face of the website that are pretty good. And then, uh, you know, a calendar, if you want to book a reading and, you know, plenty of testimonials from people. And there's one mm -hmm. too, you might want to read, um, one of the pages it's called your honey story. And what this is, it's a, and it's down there in Miami where you're at. Okay. It was a lady who didn't believe in this stuff at all. And then when her daughter passed away, she, and this is the part I think you're going to appreciate. Mm -hmm. She wrote a, story about what it was like to get that call what it was like to go to the emergency room not knowing if her daughter made it or not and going through the whole process of losing a child and then how shortly after the funeral someone said that they had seen me and recommended me and she um was brave enough to get in her car drive up to jacksonville and she's her and I have become very best friends. I'll even go down and visit with her on occasion. And she's shown me all around Miami and really? the area and stuff. And I, you know I was born and raised in Miami and I moved away from Miami like six months ago. Oh, did you? Where are you now? What part? I'm right by Gainesville. I'm not too far from you. Where are you? Right next to Gainesville, a little bit south of Gainesville. Okay, yeah, I thought you were still down in Miami. Okay. Oh, no. no. After, you know what? Like I said, I saw that city grow up I, I, and everything, but it's just too much traffic, too many people moving in there. Absolutely. It is. I, I go down there and it's the density, the traffic. It was like, you know how you always be before you had rush hour traffic in the morning or in the afternoons. Now you got rush hour traffic all the day. It's, it's ridiculous there. You have to go so, through there and try to get down to Key West, for instance. Oh, it's, it's almost impossible. It. Even there was a, a, a back road, which is Chrome Avenue that would take you right into the keys. And I used to live, I moved towards the end west of, which was before what was uh, old Miami's agricultural area since like the turn of the century. And even that, you know, once they ran out of the developers, they kept going west. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, and it was like, okay, this is this is my cue to like leave. But I'm not like, I don't do that well with snow. <laughs> so well, is a pretty nice area. I mean it's very nice. It's beautiful out here. Unfortunately, had a heart issue and had to go to the big hospital there. Oh, really? So I know okay. that I learned the area a little bit, but I'm up in Middleburg and it's, oh, I love it. It's just quiet, quiet, quiet. I exactly. can go all day and not even hear one car go by. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is, and people think, oh, and it's like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, once upon a time, but there comes a point where, you know what? This it, Peace and quiet is a wonderful thing. It is. It is. It's a wonderful thing, you know, so that's where I'm at. And yeah, it's been a great move. And uh, that's why I, you know, my audience has heard me complain because it, the packing and the unpacking and, you know, we sold our property very quickly in Miami. And it was one of those, like, you mean I got to go, what? you know, 
one of those <laughs> things. That does this still settle. So it's been yeah, but it's, it, it was a good move. It was and and we're happy and even though. You know, what was it? The, the trauma of moving. Like I tell everybody, if, if you mention that word to me, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. God, if I had to move, I don't know how I would categorize this stuff or box it. I don't know. I don't well, know how I can do it. I, 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 I tell everybody, first of all, we moved from a larger place to a smaller place. But besides that, that's when you really, truly realize how much junk you accumulate. And by this, I'm not a hoarder. I don't you know. But I'm just saying just stuff that you realize. You're a hoarder. You Look at your background compared to mine. <laughs> no. No, you're not. It's not stacked up. It's not, you know, out of control. But yeah, when, when you start thinking, I got to pack all this stuff. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Dishes, pots and pans, oh, everything. Nice. And I've got a double car garage, so I got a lot of stuff out there. And, oh. But, but I am say, not a junk collector, fortunately. I am not. But you know what? I th that's what I tell them. You know, if you would have told people maybe 20 or 30 years ago that storage, uh, Spaces were going to be become one of the number one businesses. They'd be like, oh, your house? Why? What for? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful to speak to you, Chuck. And I want to wish you the best of luck in any new projects that you have coming up. And um, it has been absolutely great. I love speaking to you. Well, it was fun talking with you. And I can't wait to listen to some of the other podcasts I saw on your website. I'm going to check them out when I have time. Absolutely. And I, I hope you'll come back and we can discuss more for uh, oh, your I'd love case. To. I'd love to. Who knows what new stories I'll have by then. Maybe even a third book. I'm thinking about putting one. I was about to ask you, have, have you thought, considered maybe another book? I have, but you know, I got to let things slow down a little because there's so much going on around me right now, but mm -hmm. I okay. think there's a lot to tell the people and sure. people love to read. They love to know what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a never ending, like teaching and learning. And yes. it's just amazing. I, I can't imagine life without knowing what I know about spirit. I can't imagine it. And, and it's one of those things that, I, you know, that, and, and the reason why I want to point it out real quickly is that unfortunately some people think of psychics or ESP intuitives, like being woo woo, like, Oh, this person's walking around, like always in a daze and you know, whatever out of touch. And it's like, not really. You'd be surprised who's that psychic. You're right. You're right. And I, I take a great pride in going places where no one recognizes me and I just go through, but locally they know me from, you know, I've been on newscasts and stuff like that. And I was on A&E for, uh, for quite a while. Plus uh, the history channel kept running a show on me. Right. So, you know, a lot of people know me from that and they're, they're just interested in the field, but then again, yes. you still have the ones that are, that are laughing behind your back. And the others that really get it. So, the ones I, I I'm, I'm telling you, the the most hardcore skeptics I think are the ones that it, they're just afraid of. I think so. Yeah, getting the possibility that there is truth to it, and then what else comes with that? I you learned know, once from John that Edwards. He said on one of his shows when they asked him, they said, "How do you handle people who don't believe in what you do?" He said, "I don't care." He said, "Let them believe in anything they want to believe in. I will not give them my energy." I'll take that same energy and give it to someone else who's standing in line waiting to talk to me. Absolutely. And I love that because that's so true. You know, why would you try to convince someone when they're only going to laugh at it anyway, or they're going to try to win the argument, you know? So there's no convincing them. But one day they'll learn the truth. They'll know, they'll know there's more to it. Absolutely. 
Again, Chuck, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Take care. Thank you for having me on. I've really, really enjoyed it. Fun Have night. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. I hope you liked it. I loved speaking to Chuck. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure there's cases that he won't talk about because, you know, anonymity, I mean, confidentiality and things like that. But wow, I bet he's got some great stories. <laughs> Whether from when he was a cop, you know what? And I've said this before. People don't realize that in that that world of um, whether you're for first responder, which cops are, you know, or nine one one, you know, uh, firemen, paramedics, they see a lot of unusual things. A lot of unusual things. But um, maybe now, not so much. And even then, still, you know, all kidding aside this is one of those things that you kind of like keep under wraps when you have experiences or you see things or you hear things and you're like, and you know, maybe you'll trust maybe a couple of good friends. And even then it's like, but if anybody ever asks you, there's like, no, nah. you know, you deny all knowledge because um, you do see a lot of unusual things uh, as, as far as, Things having to do in the paranormal world, intuitions, uh, warnings, uh, same thing. You know, I've heard a lot of stuff of people seeing things when they've gotten to uh, an accident that they sometimes see people standing or a person standing there like a shadow of a person. It turns out this person uh, just passed away in one of the accidents and you know, at the, when they get there, they don't realize who they're seeing or, you know, sometimes you get a group of people that maybe a one or two even of the people that they think are real turn out not to be real per se. It's only later on that they realize that what they were looking at was the spirit of a person that had just passed away. And in, in just to give you this point of reference, um, you know, the sixth sense, I'm sure most people have seen it towards the end of the movie when uh, that bicyclist got killed and all of a sudden the kid is seeing, which only he can see, the cyclist looking in through the car window at him. And to him, it looks like a solid person. You know, there's uh, quite a lot of first responders that have that experience. And um, sometimes they don't say anything because it's like, um, I have uh, one of the shows, uh, I think the title of it is Alone with a Ghost. And I was speaking to a police officer and she was saying how there was a house that there was a murder-suicide at. She lives, uh, she heard the department that she works at is not that big. It's a smaller department. Uh, and there was a murder-suicide that took place at that house. And afterwards... It, it, they've never sold it. It's never been rented, it's, but it's maintained. But anyway, to make a long story short, they keep getting 911 calls at the station originating there, even though it's completely empty. And they said that they had even, uh, at one point, they, they were trying to figure out like what's going on here. They called, um, uh, I think it was the, the, the telephone company confirmed that there was no active phone service there. There's just, there was nothing there. 
and there was nobody living there. And this, of course, what was there was a landline because, you know, a lot of people realize that once upon a time, a lot of people had landlines as in connected. It wasn't a cellular service. And so it's very easy to determine this is the actual address, the point of origin where this call is coming into to the 911 center. And uh, yeah, they uh, they had it was well known that they would get calls coming in from a house that was totally empty and nobody was there. How do you explain that? And it happened on more than one occasion. It happened for quite a while. I I, I can't remember now if it had stopped, but uh, yeah. And uh, the, the things like that along along those lines do happen more often than people think. And I want to say sometimes part of what Chuck was describing that in that type of work, um, whether you want to call it instincts of survival, you develop your intuition, you develop those skills, you develop a level of, of vigilance that, like he said, you might be eating lunch or you might be doing something and anybody looking at you would think they're not paying attention and you are paying attention. And you're picking up, even if it's on a subconscious level, you're picking up on a lot of different cues of what's going on around you. Because in some cases, it's going to determine if you live or die. I mean, I know it sounds dramatic and over the top, but yeah. You know, so you, in other words, you do it unconsciously. It's not like you decide you're going to do it after a while. And then part of that observation is what he said uh, as far as that you start listening to your gut. You know, because a lot of times people will have intuition or warnings or, you know, that, like, don't go down that street, go down. And they kind of, you know, man, my imagination, I'm, I'm imagining things. And they just, they, they disregard it. And I think at that line of work, after you've had a couple of experiences where it, you're actually right. I mean, you don't go around saying, guess what? You know, I knew that that was, you just keep it to yourself. But it cuts to the point where you trust it, where you don't disregard it. You don't play it off. It's my imagination. You know, and you're like, okay, so nobody needs to know about that. Hey, I know that. Like he was saying that something's going to happen in that area and I'm just going to work my way slowly over there. And uh, my dispatch is going to wonder how, how it was that I knew, you know, that I was so close or whatever, because you do have uh, an instinct about those things. And after a while you learn between just something that doesn't mean anything to, I guess we'll say, I, I hear a lot of people ask, well, how do you know when you were getting, um, I don't want to say a message because that's not it, but, but you know what they call a gut feeling or an intuition or stuff like that versus my just imagining this. And I want to say that it's after a while, you know, you know how to differentiate. And a lot of the times you get it when you, you know, when you kind of like zone out a little bit, like, you know, you just kind of like, you know, sometimes you not veg out, but you know, there's moments in time that, despite our thing of multitasking and thinking of a million things that you kind of zone out a little bit. Sometimes that's when these intuitions come in. It's almost like it takes this second. Oh, you finally stop doing your to-do list. Zap. Here it is. Um, do you feel that? Do you hear that? Do you, do you, or like he said, where he saw that, like that movie thing kind of play out when that truck um, took out all these uh all these poles, well, it wasn't the poles, it was the electrical, but it was a bad pole, that he saw it like a mini movie. 
after a while, you realize that, that that's your intuition, that's your gut, and you follow it. At the end of the day, if you think about it, what's the worst that could happen? You have this intuition and nothing happens. But he said, no. Or, and I've said this before, let's say you, you have a, a, a feeling, whatever. I'm not going to go down the street. You know, and you don't. Maybe you're going to work and you have a certain route that you take. And then that one day you said, I'm not going to go down that route. You know, I'm going to go down this alternate, whatever. And you actually do it. And let's say you might have avoided a, a, a very bad accident, but how would you ever know that you dodged that bullet? There's no way for you to ever quantify and say, hey, you know what? That intuition, that intuitive flash I got actually was on the money. Unless maybe you... Uh, later on find out, oh, there was a real bad accident in that corner. But even then, a lot of times you never find out. Or what if you are, uh, sometimes things are avoided just because one of the parties is not there. You see what I'm saying? And I'm, sh I'm sure everybody's heard stories about people deciding at the last minute, I'm not going to take that flight, you know, things like that. You know, and again, and I said it before, how many, and, and I know, you know, let's say in, in a plane crash, how many of those people that got on that plane did have some type of intuition or some gut feeling that they shouldn't go on the flight and they never did or told anybody about it? How could you ever find that, 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 that they could come back and say, I knew I shouldn't have gotten on that plane or I knew I shouldn't have done that. There's no way for people to quantify it and say, you know, the only ones that live to tell the tale is the ones that live to tell the tale. But anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. Like I've told, told you guys before, I've got a lot of interesting guests. Uh, some of the old guests are coming back, new guests like Chuck, and I'm hoping he's going to come back and tell us more stories. I'm hoping he's going to do another um, another book. Uh, and again, I, I, I totally agree with him. Uh, Skype and Zoom or whatever, internet's great, but you know, it, it, there's, there's something to be said when you can do a conference like with people live people like so hopefully that you know we'll you'll be able to do that soon and um yeah and again if you've got stories go to miamiclosechronicles.com and you can send me an email there's ways to reach out to me there's links to podcast versions there's links to uh you can find us on uh as far as the videos are concerned just about anything on any of the books that I'm working, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, don't forget, you know, where, where you, wherever it is that you find us, you know, go ahead and subscribe and like it. Or if there's that option. So at the very least, if you subscribe, you're going to get notification of when I'm releasing a new show. So again, take care. It was great to uh, spend this time with you. Bye-bye.